I don't know if you kids were listening, did you hear it say, from the north, the south, the east, and the west, God gathers people together. And that's one of the things that uh, we need to always be alert to as we, uh, as we look at this section. I want you to first understand the context, because you don't quite get the, uh, the power of these words until you understand that the children of Israel have lost their nation. They are in a situation of, of at least what we would call uh, movement to a different place. They have been removed from their homeland. They have been settled in the area of Babylon. In some cases, they're slaves. In other situations, they have worked themselves into relative positions of working and, and uh, able to own and possess things. They've been there for a while. And when Isaiah writes to them these words, you need to understand that he's not writing to someone whose life is going good, who have been flawless and in their actions and behaviors. He's writing the words and the power of this promise to people that in many cases have lost hope, in many cases have asked the question, how long, O Lord? And in this condition and circumstances, you get the power of what God is trying to communicate here through Isaiah. And so we read that and look at that uh, phrasing, and we begin to understand what God is trying to identify. The first thing you have to understand is that God's mercy for you doesn't rest on you because you've earned it or deserve it. It doesn't rest on you because you've done something good this week or bad this week. It rests on you because God has determined you have this amount of value. You are precious to him. God has looked at you, and in literal sense, obviously use that phrase if you look there in verse 1, uh, who created you and formed you, that carries with it two things. The first one is it carries you all the way back to Genesis, who created and molded you. The two words are used back there in Genesis. But it's used in context here to speak to Jacob, and notice Jacob and Israel are really the same person who created you and formed you, Try to understand, remember that as you recognize Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, that kind of context, God is speaking here, I called you out of nothingness into existence. I called this nation that was not a nation into its existence. I formed you, I gave to you the truths that I wanted you to possess. I, I created you, I, I took you from nothing, I established you. And so he's relating all the way back to the truth of what happened in Genesis, but then he goes back again to what he did through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob until finally Israel, the nation, is formed, and now Israel, the nation, is over here in a foreign country looking back at what they used to be and what they used to have. And so if you keep that in context, it will, you'll understand a little more clearly the power of these words because they begin to make a little more sense. Finishes off there in verse 1, Fear not. Don't be terrified. Don't be anxious, all right? In terms of, uh, because I have purchased you, I am going to be charged an exorbitant fee, but I will purchase you out of the condition and circumstance you're in. Now you've got to understand, God has been redeeming Israel and redeeming the children of Israel over and over again. This is a characteristic 
of redeeming the world or redeeming Israel or eventually, obviously, our own redemption. And it always costs. You don't just simply say, I will now take you out of one situation and put you in another. The people who have enslaved you, there's a cost that's going to be exacted. There is a price that's going to be paid. So when you recognize what redeem means, it means I exchange something of great value for your, yourself or for you. And so what God is speaking here to the children of Israel is I have redeemed you. I am going to carry this through. And he points that out. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. And then the beautiful phrase, you are mine. Now you need to recognize the children of Israel are in their condition and circumstance because of their lack of conviction because of their lack of obedience, because they as a nation had become so fat and so comfortable and so lethargic in the areas of spiritual things that the only solution that God could come up with that finally, after he warned them and warned them and warned them, he would bring this foreign power into their circumstance that would literally uproot their nation, dissipate it to the four corners of the earth, drag the bulk of the people over to Babylon a thousand miles away, and reestablish them in a totally different setting and situation. They had brought the circumstances they were in upon themselves. It's a little bit like when you look at yourself and say, I'm getting what I deserve. I'm in this circumstance because I have failed to do this, or because I always do that, or because of this sinfulness I've brought into my life, or because of this compromise in my attitude, where you feel not just the sense of, being sad and weighed down, but you feel the being weighed down because you've deserved exactly where you're at. You realize that how you got in your situation. You understand the condition, the condemnation. The result is, I have brought this into my life. I have brought these circumstances into my world. I am where I deserve to be. In fact, I am even, I should even have it worse in that sense. So, Try to be alert that this is not a situation where people are just crying out to God, oh God, this is so unfair, this is so, you know. They are very much aware. They had been warned by their prophets. They had been warned by their teachers. They had been told over and over again, you got to stop doing what you're doing. you got to stop living for yourselves. you got to stop longing after the things of the world. you got to stop being so materialistic. you got to stop thinking that your nation cannot collapse and be uprooted from you in a moment or in the twinkling of an eye. You've got to stop living like that. They knew it. They heard it. They understood it. They rejected it. And they did it not just once, but they did it generation after generation after generation, shutting down, destroying, killing, and whatever else they could think of, the prophets of God that were sent to warn them and guide them in a different direction. Feel that moment in your life. Somebody told you you shouldn't, but you did. Somebody told you this was wrong, but you did anyway. The Spirit told you you were wrong, and you overcame that. People told you you were wrong and was no good. You overcame that. And you kept walking that path of self-destruction, bringing that consequence into your life. Feel that point of conviction because it's at that point now that you need to hear the power of what God begins to say when you recognize what mercy is. Because if you don't understand these people are in this condition because they brought it on themselves you may think God is just showing mercy because they're crying out, life is so hard. All right? 
If I smoke like crazy and I develop lung cancer, one of the things I may say to myself is I brought this on myself. If I'm sexually promiscuous and I end up with some nasty disease, I will probably say I brought this on myself. If I am abusive or hurtful or unfair or nasty, whatever it is, or unfaithful or whatever else you might want to pick, you might lose your family, your friends, acquaintances, whatever else, but you'll have that sense, I have brought this on myself. I am feeling the consequence of what I have done that was so wrong and so improper. That's that sense I want you to have because until you have that overwhelming sense of accountability, you don't understand that that does not hesitate, cause God to hesitate a rescue in your situation or condition. God is in the willingness, or God is willing in the business, if you want to use that term, but God is in the will and desire to overcome what you have brought as consequence and compromise into your life. God is willing to rescue and invade that space, and he's willing to walk in and march right up to the center of it, and he starts speaking this truth to your heart. So you can hear it for the children of Israel, but I also want you to hear it for yourself, all right? I, the Lord, says this right now. I am the one who created you. I am the one who formed you. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. And you've got to be sitting there hearing this, knowing, but I did this to myself. I brought this into my world. I brought these consequences into my life. And God whispers, I love you. You belong to me. And you begin to recognize the power of what the gospel is really meant to try and communicate to your heart. Because God was working with these people, not the people that were easy to love or deserving of love or worthy of love. He had taken them from nothing, brought them into the kingdom. He had taken them from nothing, made them a nation, taken them from nothing, given them the truth of how they should run their nation, live their lives, and they rejected every part of it. And still he spoke the truth, you are my people. He began to speak to their hearts, I still feel this way toward you. I still desire these things toward you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Now there's two things that he uses here as examples, the water and the fire. And the, the water that you understand, uh, it kind of overwhelms. Normally waters, they kind of come up and come up and finally, they overwhelm you. It feels like that in life sometimes, right? You feel, we even use the word, I'm overwhelmed with what's happening in my life. I'm overwhelmed. I don't feel I have, and if you've ever been in any current at all, you feel like you have no control, no power, because you are overwhelmed. The waters are carrying you where they are going to carry you. You have no ability to rescue yourself. You are overwhelmed. And God says to you people who are overwhelmed, or he says to the children of Israel overwhelmed in their circumstances of being captured and in Babylon, he says, listen to me, I will be with you. And the second one he's going to use here in the analogy is going to be fire. And fire is always the thing that consumes. It just eats you up. It kind of destroys the very essence of who you are. And you have to understand that when he uses these two terms, he's selecting them because not only literally can you go back to specific examples in the Old Testament where water and fire were used to destroy the children of Israel, like the three men in the fiery furnace and other places like that, 
or whatever situation you might want to name, you have concrete examples, but you've got the more important example, which is that God will continue to be with you. God will continue to minister to you. God will continue to work in that situation. So he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. They will not win. They will not carry you away to the final destruction. I will be with you. It is a word of assurance that even in the circumstance you're going through, I am walking through this with you like an anchor. If you can imagine that, he holds you in the middle of the swirling flood. And even though you can be terrified and frightened, that thing that is holding on to you is immovable. And that's the kind of sense that he's trying to communicate. When you pass through the waters of the rivers, then when it says, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames will not set you ablaze. You shall not be kindled by them. They will not ultimately set you on fire and destroy you. Does flame and fire mean you have to walk through it? Yes. What you do when you walk through the flame and fire and the consequences as you walk through the flame and fire are absolutely important to understand what he's trying to communicate. In the situations of fire and all of these forces that are trying to consume and destroy you, I will work to keep them from kindling you on fire, from destroying you in the process. The fire is out there a little bit like the three men in the fiery furnace. It is burning all around you. You are in a situation you don't want to be in, but the faithfulness of God and the promise of God is demonstrated in this attitude and behavior. He consistently says, I will not let it overwhelm you. I will not let it destroy you. And you have to recognize that this is God's promise to people who are sitting there in the middle of their wretch and consequence going, I deserve nothing, I have rejected God, I have not loved God, I have brought this into my life, and God begins to speak this truth out over them. You remember last Sunday I began to say we need to start speaking that truth out over ourselves and over our lives and over our hearts because one of the things Satan wants to do is convince you that you will not recover. This is an overcoming sin that you're involved in. This is an overwhelming consequence. You will never be able to lift your head up. It will sweep you away. You cannot hold it. And what God keeps speaking back to your heart is, I will hold on to you. I will keep you from being swept away. I will keep the fire from destroying you. And it rests again on the I, the God in the story, the God in the account. And that's the challenge for your faith is to always rest upon God in the middle of the circumstance. The three men in the fiery furnace could not stare at the fire. They had to look at God. They had to trust the promises. They had to be obedient to what God had said to them. They understood, and in that faith, in that walk, they experienced something, obviously, I hope none of us ever have to experience, but you begin to recognize what that's like. And so you begin to recognize what he's doing here. It says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, your cover. The word Savior not only means rescue, it means to cover over you. I shield you. I cover you over. When they attack you, if you've ever pictured you know, that kind of throwing your body over someone, that's literally what God does for you. Here comes the enemy and God throws himself over you. 
And he takes your beating. And he takes your bullet. And he takes your pain and the, and the fire that burns. That's what finally, ultimately, rips and tears at Jesus on the cross. He is taking what is mine and he covers me over. He rescues me. He saves me from the circumstances of my life that I have brought on myself. And you understand, he does not even condemn me even though it's been brought on by my own willful sinfulness, stupidity, arrogance, pride, whatever else you want to list is how I got to the situation. God throws himself over me and he says, I still find you valuable. That's what comes out in the next word, okay? I'll give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. He is literally saying to you, I will sacrifice those nations for you if necessary. I will take down the firstborn of the Egyptians in order to save my people. I will take out that nation in order to let you know how valuable you are. There's this kind of uh, implication, both past and present, that he's working with then. I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them out to the south. Don't hold them back. And so what you've got is this image of God going, I'm not only throwing myself over you, I'm throwing myself over your children. And you have to understand, one of the things Christian parents live with immensely is guilt, right? Inevitably, we feel guilty when our kid goes in this direction, they should be going in that direction. We feel guilty that we haven't invested enough money or time or energy. We have this ability to understand that, you know, we want to do the very best we can in some cases and we just don't or can't or won't or whatever happens. And here you've got to recognize God is not only speaking redemption or covering for me, this wretched sinner that I am. He speaks to my heart and he says, I throw my cover over your children. I call them back from the north, the south, the east, and the west. I want you to know from the rising of the sun, rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, that I'm calling them back. And you begin to recognize that God's call is not just this little call, I will cover you, Bruce. I will guard and watch over you because you need me. But I will cover over your child and this child, and I'll call them back. And he begins to speak the truth to my heart. And he begins to communicate that his love is not this small, but encompasses all directions as far as the eye can see. Remember, kids, when I said that Mr. Stenson goes and he visits places that you and I may only see in pictures? and he has a ministry to people that don't know that Jesus loves them, try to understand that's what God is saying. I call them from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And I bring them back to me. I bring them and put them under this covering that I'm establishing for them. And so he says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And so you've got this example of God's heart for us and for us as sinners. And so what God is speaking to you in my heart today is this, that when he starts speaking from the cross, he starts speaking the truth to your heart, and you come before him, you bring the failures of your life. You bring the compromise of your life. You bring the embarrassment and the shame of your life. You bring the things that you have not done as you could have done or should have done. And what you hear is the covering of God coming across you, speaking the truth, I will take your beating. I will take what you have deserved. 
I will carry you, I will walk with you, I will be with you through the flame and the fire. And he gives you this opportunity to be covered by his presence and by his love. It doesn't excuse me from becoming a better father or husband, wife, or whatever you happen to be, but it brings me to that awareness that God, when he calls me and he works in my life, is fully aware of what I need covered. And it says, I will reach across you and cover you. It's kind of the picture where you, you, you see this, uh, th- this person is going to get shot and somebody leaps in front of them and they take that bullet that is theirs. And we kind of picture that if it's a husband and wife situation or two really close friends or something. But then you begin to understand every once in a while you have to picture your worst enemy and that bullet coming and uh, the, the kind of all in slow motion and here's you or me and I am an enemy of God. I have compromised my life. I have lived wickedly. And God watches that bullet of condemnation and judgment and consequence coming into my life. And instead of looking that, he looks at me and he says, I will take that bullet and I cover over you. And he takes that shot. He says, that's who I am. That's what the gospel means. That's what grace is about. That's why you can leave in joy. That's why you need to understand how you begin to approach people in your life. How you begin to respond. How you begin to throw yourself into that situation yourself. But first you've got to taste it and understand it and experience it yourself. And so God in His mercy speaks this to the children of Israel and then He carries it through. He speaks it again to you and me and then He carries it out in Jesus Christ. And the truth is God has covered over my sin The truth is God has rescued and redeemed me from the wretchedness of my sin. And the truth is that he will continue to do that. As we look at this text and we think about coming to communion now, I want you to just remember the words. I have created you. I have formed you. I know what you are. And still I choose to bring you back, to pay the price for your redemption. I still choose you. My name rests on you. I want you in my kingdom. Pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, as we, uh, as we realize the sacrifice that you demonstrated so clearly for the children of Israel, as we remember the, the mercy that you showed to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and others who uh, lived in the Old Testament, as we remember the rebelliousness of the Israelites and the arrogance and the the foolishness, the immorality, the compromise, the love of stuff, the, the idolatry that rips and tears their lives, their families, their culture finally apart. I pray, Lord, that you'd make me more mindful of the ripping and tearing I do in my own life, my own family, my own wretchedness. And then, Lord, with my head down and my heart uh, exposed to the truth, I pray that I would now understand what it means to be covered over by a merciful God who finds value in me, who chooses me, who calls me by name and sets me free and understands the forgiveness that I need. Heavenly Father, because of your mercy and grace, I look forward and hope to each day. Because of the mercy that is mine in Christ, I thank you for the opportunities. And then I thank you, Jesus, that by the power that you pour out into my life, the truth you whisper into my mind and heart. You are more than able 
by your own mercy and grace to call back from the north, the south, the east, and the west things that I have given away. And you begin to restore what has been given away. You begin to bring back those things that I gave away so foolishly and stupidly. You restore to me integrity. You restore to me purity. You restore to me the gift of people and friends and acquaintances. You restore to me the name that I have given away and the reputation I have sullied and destroyed. You give back to me the compromise in my life and you bring me back to purity. You bring me back to understanding. You give back to me what the world and sin and my own wretched flesh have taken and given away. And you are the restorer. You are the redeemer. You are the cover. You are the one who brings back to me what I could never have on my own. And so I pray that into our hearts today. I pray that God would restore to you purity. I pray that God would bring back to you what you gave away. I pray whatever part of your life you have sold out and compromised, that God would bring that part of you right back and touch it by the power of His Spirit with a healing and a wholeness, that He would restore you, that you would understand the power of being redeemed by the Savior, the cover, the one who brings back what I have given away. And I pray the truth over your heart that Christ is more than able to bring back what you gave away. God is more than able to work and use the immorality, the compromise, the sin, the pride, the foolishness of your or my life and bring it about in such a way that it becomes not only a, something restored, but becomes a tool in His hand to bless and restore others. And so I pray, Lord, for the truth that you have given to us in Christ, that you have come to restore what we have given away, that you have come to bring back what we have sold out. Help that to minister to our hearts in every way today, Lord. Pour it out into our spirits and let your rescue be in our lives in every way. It's in your name that we pray these things. And God's people said,